Hello everyone and welcome to Much Better People. I'm your host Somya and this podcast is all about those transitions in life, but especially the ones that are, you know, kicking your ass a little bit more than others. Each week I'll be joined by a new guest to discuss their loves and losses, generally in their 20s, and then think about the lessons that they've learned and that they'll bring forward into their 30s and onwards. So if you need to know a little bit more about the concept of the podcast and especially where the name comes from, Much Better People, there is a story behind that which should hopefully make you laugh and you can listen to that on whichever platform you're on. So my guest today is a really dear friend of mine, Priya, and I asked her to come on because I felt like she just had so much to share that would be really thought-provoking. Now, Priya to me is just unapologetically herself. She's fierce, funny, an absolute firecracker of a person. And that's why we love her. But actually, she has this other side, which I find really, really lovely and interesting. And if you think about the phrase duality of man, that's how I think about Priya, sort of duality of woman. Um, She's astoundingly astute. She's really intelligent and reflective. And I think that allows her to be such a kind person and such an interesting person. So Priya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real honour to be asked. And that was such a lovely introduction. That's the best introduction I've ever had. I know. Well, I'm hyping hyping you up. (laughs) Because you agreed to go on this podcast that no one knows about. (laughs) Um, which is fantastic. So today's episode centres obviously around a few different things that are linked to love Mm. and loss and lessons. But what really struck me around your episode is that we're thinking about trauma Mm. and thinking about it in a more holistic way. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, was really sort of interested to hear you talk about certain books you've been reading up about in terms of your own trauma and how you work through that. Mm. You know, you work in clinical genetics, Mm -hmm. so you've got this real science mind to you. But then you're also really thinking about spirituality Mm, and the body. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I understand as well that you're training to be a breathwork practitioner, which is really interesting. Mm, I am. Yeah, I really loved your use of the word duality in that introduction because I think that really sums up where I'm at in life at the moment. Mm. So um, a bit of context for the podcast, just turned 30. I had the usual midlife crisis um it was great really 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 thought provoking (laughs) um and I'm at a position at the moment well yeah I do I work in clinical genetics I've always been a bit of a science bitch always loved science um did double science at GCSE show off so yeah look at me go um science at A level you know it's always been it's all been about science for me and then throughout my 20s I had um a few experiences that essentially led me to discovering the the root cause of trauma Um, and that then led me down a path that I would essentially call us a a path of spirituality Um, uh, somatic experiencing is another word I think um, that you know I use a lot uh, in this in this area as well and it is essentially almost the antithesis of science Um, and it's it's been a really beautiful journey very difficult sometimes I'll touch on trauma at some point um and um yeah it's just a so it's a really amazing point it's really interesting when you use the word somatic because obviously in genetics when we think about you know um science and and things around that being somatic things that have occurred following conception Mm. um and it was really interesting to see that that term is also used within breath work Mm. so um can you tell me a little bit more about what it what it means in breath work Mm, absolutely it's fascinating because in my in my day job i'm um working at the hospital 
I'm a specialising in cancer at the moment, so we talk about somatic and sort of the things that happen to our genes after we've been born that increase the risk of developing cancer. In the world of sort of trauma, breath work, um, and I guess that sort of spiritual uh, examination of what it means to be a human being, somatic means to sort of exist within the body. So core theory of new trauma research is that trauma is previously seen as, as a, a thought um problem essentially a cognitive dissonance now we understand that trauma is is stored in the body um, and that the key theory behind trauma is is actually talking about the traumatic event just serves to re-traumatize that person there is no therapeutic value or sorry there is some therapeutic value to recounting the experience once maybe twice but not to keep talking about it and actually in order to really cure trauma, you have to tap into the places in the body in which it's stored. And there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, I came across breathwork last year. Um, I'd experienced quite a big heartbreak. And, you know, that feeling when you're just, it is just unbearable. Heartbreak's the worst, isn't it? It doesn't matter how many times you've had it, it's just yeah. unbearable. I mean, I, I created a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go, yeah. yeah. Um, it's mad it's such a ubiquitous human experience and yet it is so unbelievably painful um I didn't know what to do with myself and I'd come across um breath work and I did one session and I've n- never experienced such a sort of transformation or release of that that pain I think especially in our in our society a lot of the time when we have an emotion we're sort of talking to someone about that you know saying to you I feel heartbroken but none of that emotion is actually being expressed it's sort of like I'm I'm processing it cognitively um and the process of breath work allowed me to sort of tap into where that was being stored in my body um and to release it and it was it was just really transformative experience because rather than feeling the absolute anger that I felt towards that person I could um sum up a huge amount of compassion and what I would call sort of um, unconditional love. And I could, you know, rather than sort of hating on him, really see the sort of the position he was in. And it, the, the the transformation was just so huge that I was like, right, this is the shit. <laughs> yeah. This is the shit. Like, I need to, like, get into this a lot more. Um, and this journey has sort of taken me down lots of different paths that have um, find, finding ways to tap into the way that, that trauma... So essentially sort of like traumatic memories are stored in the body. Um, so the theory behind that is, um, you know, I think it's something that humans love to deny. We love to pretend that we're not animals and we absolutely are. <laughs> we love to think that we're kind of, yeah, much, much higher, like completely different class. The idea of trauma is that when we experience something that is stressful, and I think trauma is often mistakenly assigned to big, horrible experiences such as like war or rape, and, or witnessing a murder and actually what it what it means from a um a somatic perspective essentially is that your body went into the fight or flight response and that could be anything that could be a parent shouting at you when you're a child anything that sets you off and if the process of coming out of the flight or fight response um is interrupted in any way so for instance if you are scared but the social environment you're in means that you have to pretend to not be scared it's like our cognitive brain overrides the um I love calling it the lizard brain that part of our brain that just like from when we were lizards and the lizard brain is in charge of uh, fight or flight we now know that it's actually fight flight freeze or fawn response there are four versions of that the traditional kind of perspective is looking at fight or flight um and that that comes from our lizard brain that's sort of part of that evolutionary pathway we're obviously a lot more advanced now reaching into the stage of um 
sort of human evolution where we you know, use a lot of our prefrontal cortex. And the, the way those two parts of the brain um, interact with each other is that our prefrontal cortex can override these sort of very animalistic responses. What that does is it means that we don't fully discharge the the, the energy that sort of tra- comes into our body when we're getting ready to run away from a lion. Um, and, you know, no, your mum, when you're four and you've spilt some juice on the floor, isn't a lion. But our fight or well, flight system, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> everyone has experienced that. Mums can be terrified. <laughs> um, it's just been a really, really fascinating sort of exploration down that. So, so that, yeah, to come back to the, the somatic part, that energy that we would usually use to, to fight or flee gets stuck in our body. And if we don't discharge it, that builds up over time. And that's where the symptoms of, of post-traumatic stress disorder come in. Okay, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think probably a lot of people that are listening can relate to that. Because what I found really interesting, you know, around what you said, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be a really huge event that, you know, unanimously everybody would agree mm. um, is traumatic. And, and I suppose it differs you know naturally for different people so I think it's really important to understand you know that these small interactions or reactions um count as as trauma Mm -hmm. and if you don't ever kind of address them or acknowledge them then your body will Mm -hmm. and I think what's interesting for me is that I started suffering with migraines following Mm. a few kind of sort of big and negative life events that came all together I never made the connection Mm. which is just bizarre and when you're talking about breath work or becoming a practitioner in that area, it really struck me as quite similar to humanistic therapy or theory mm-hmm. and gestalt theory mm-hmm. because my therapist works from that arena and she's very much around um, connecting you know, what's happening with your body in that moment with your words Mm -hmm. and I'm so guilty of just not making that connection I suppose not I'm not blaming myself and but you've got to learn it and it's not something that Mm. you are taught so it's really interesting as well speaking to you because like you you said to me earlier you apply you know scientific concepts on a, a kind of daily daily basis but there was this part of processing trauma that you couldn't assign to science or the mind or those kind of cognitive Mm. things and so that's when you started to think about what's what's the rest of the picture Mm. what's going to be sort of something that ties it up I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that but when you think about I guess just generally people in society um, what struck me is that you were speaking about this kind of so for example you spill a glass of milk your dad your mum whoever screams at you you internalise that because you don't want to maybe further exacerbate the situation. So instead of just maybe shaking or crap, you know, just kind of letting that emotion out, some people, they wouldn't feel mm-hmm. safe to do that mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about men and women. So there is quite a large expectation on men in society, especially when it comes to um, not expressing certain emotions. Mm. So do you see any differences or have you seen any differences in your work so far um, around that? It's a really, really good question. Yeah, I think the way in which society tells men and women to behave in order to conform to what, you know, men and women should be doing in our society um, uh, does mean that trauma comes out in lots of different ways so when expressing emotion obviously anger is a lot more acceptable for men to be angry than it is for women it's also quite encouraged in some scenarios so emotional discharge often comes out in that way with men um, and with women can often come out in more emotional ways Uh, but it tends to be I think that's quite a, a general 
rule individually it can come out in, lo- in lots and lots of different ways and especially in my family the anger um, lives more in the women in our family than it does the men the men tend to be less angry and so yeah yeah it really comes out um in in anger in the women in our family so yeah, as a general rule yeah but i think there is a bit of variation yeah, of in course, that yeah individual differences yeah that's really fascinating mm. actually So when thinking, I suppose, about the concept of this podcast and losses in your 20s, would you be able to tell me a little bit more about what you feel you may have lost during Mm, that time period, if anything? Definitely. I think um, there was a really key moment in my 20s. I'm sort of interpreting this. There was was loss of sort of people in my life. There was loss of... um, Loss of, I think, a lot of experiences that I could have had because I was carrying so much trauma. A real moment for me was um, starting out in the field of clinical genetics, having, you know, completed the master's, graduated, got a job. And I thought that that would sort of be the point in which, um, you know, everything fell into place and was fine. I've got a good understanding of human genetics. And I was experiencing very difficult physical symptoms um constantly I mean you talked a little bit about migraines earlier so we're starting to get migraines um extreme fatigue chronic pain and the the most difficult one was sorry laugh about this you just have to just throwing up all the time um and I I'd been going to doctors I'd started going to doctors from about the age of 22 with these symptoms um, and it got to around the age of 26 and I um had had a particularly stressful period at work we were publishing a paper we were sort of in the run-up to that trying to get it published on time we knew there was a rival group kind of publishing something similar so like we were like all systems go um and cognitively in my brain I was like this is so exciting I'm at the forefront of the most incredible research and working at a really prestigious hospital in London um and I was getting on the train to go into work every day and my body was freaking out it was like I was asking it to I don't know go and fight 20 tigers um I was throwing up every morning um getting like so you have really bad chronic pain absolutely exhausted I could sleep for like 12 13 hours and not feel rested afterwards um and I was just at the end of my tether we had tried every so I had every test going on the NHS um I had all sorts of investigations I couldn't find anything functionally wrong with me I was incredibly lucky enough so that my aunt is a PTSD counsellor for first responders to 9-11. Um, she's an incredible woman, absolutely amazing. And she said to me, you need to take a couple of weeks off work, buy the book, The Body Keeps the Score, sit down with it, read it, take your time. And I realised that the experience of trauma had left me so separate from my body I felt like my body just kept letting me down when I wanted to get up and go to work and do this research and publish a paper and see my patients um it was just doing absolutely it was like a, a child throwing its toys out of the plan absolutely anything it could to get me to stop and rest and we were just sort of it was like my my self my cognitive self and my body um were at loggerheads there was no communication between myself and my body at all I wasn't listening um and I remember having a moment I was sat I was really weird around that time, inexplicably developed a fear of the dark at the age of 26. And I think it was one I was like, what the hell is going on? That's not cool, is it? (laughs) Admitted that to the whole world. My body was freaking out. I was basically like, something is going on here. I've achieved everything that I've wanted to academically um, and I wasn't happy. 
I wasn't happy. I wasn't functioning well. I was. I didn't feel sort of present and alive. And I was just dealing with so many symptoms that was just really keeping me back. And I had a moment that started reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and um, realising actually the, the severity that trauma had had on, on myself. Um, I remember whispering to myself, this sounds a bit mad, um, whispering to myself, whispering to my body, essentially, that um, I promise I'm going to, start listening to you from now on and that was sort of the beginning of a massive change for me so realizing how much I'd lost out on not realizing um being constantly in fight or flight mode which is what um complex PTSD is meant that I just was not present in my life at all um you know I sort of achieved a lot at that point and wasn't able to enjoy any of it um and was yeah really just really not having a good time (laughs) That was, yeah, four years ago now and it's been a really, really tricky experience and it just, yeah, sort of really coming to terms with the loss of, of just being present in life. Actually, a lot of loss of connection. I think a big thing that we don't talk about in trauma is it's really hard to feel connected to the loved ones in your life when you are experiencing trauma symptoms because you just constantly feel unsafe. And when you feel unsafe, you can't be vulnerable. When you can't be vulnerable, you lose connection. So that, that was, yeah, a real turning moment for me when I realised I just really had to start listen to my body and get back into it and that was really when the work came in but that was quite a devastating moment for me because I'd felt like um you know I'd worked so hard academically to get where I was at and it was obvious so through my own academic studies there was nothing that I was reading about nothing no sort of no understanding in genetics about trauma I'd been a patient myself it's quite an interesting dynamic sort of being you know, a, a healthcare provider within the NHS and also being a patient and essentially western medicine couldn't do anything for me. I had a really good doctor at the time, a GP, who just sort of said to me, look, you know, this is... The NHS is great if you're, like, almost dead or seriously ill. Um, For these these kind of conditions, you know, you need to be looking a bit more holistically. So I had a kind of a few sort of voices in my life at that time that said, you know, this is, it's just not, Western medicine just isn't enough and you're going to have to start delving into something else. In my own head, I kind of call it sort of spirituality. Um, A lot of it's just sort of understanding trauma. And that, that there is a very scientific element to that. I talked a little bit before about the sort of prefrontal cortex, um, the lizard brain uh, and then there's like the midbrain or like the mammalian brain so i'm just like having a science background really helps with that but you can't think your way out of trauma you have to feel your way out of it and that was quite a devastating realization to me because i had such a bad relationship with with my body that i knew that i had to kind of rekindle that and start listening to it before i could process the trauma thank you for sharing that that's you know I think, like I said before as well, lots of people can relate to this. And actually, Mm. maybe some people listening to this haven't made that connection either. Mm. And this might help with that. But it's definitely one of those things where when you're sort of younger and in your earlier 20s, your body is just so much better as well. I'm calling you old. Um, (laughs) At just, just, you know, compensating Mm. and managing. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once you start to realise that actually you have to look after it, Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't always control it either. Mm. You know, that's a real turning point for other people that I've spoken to about things mm. that are quite similar. So chronic mm-hmm. health, you, you mm. mentioned as an example. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'd love a bit of chronic health. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> chronic health. Where do they sell that? <laughs> I'd buy that. Um, yeah, chronic pain is one that's really fascinating because often, you know, there's no real, mm. you know, there's no real answer for that. But mm. obviously, if you're experiencing it, it's there, you know. Um, so how do you manage that? And I think, yeah, breathwork sounds like a way to 
you know, kind of um, come to that in a, in a different way, mm. but still have something relatively concrete to do. So I don't know if you can tell me as well, I know you touched on it earlier, but for example, it sounds quite like airy and a bit hippie-ish and, you know. So woo-woo. So typically, how would you approach a breathwork session? First of all, you kind of have to set the scene. It's a very, I think it's something we're so not used to doing uh, in sort of Western culture where you were like really getting into your body. I'd say it's kind of like, similar to yoga in some ways but but a lot more extreme so i'd spend depending on whether i was doing it with a with a one-on-one with one person or with a group spend the first sort of 10 minutes um orientating people to it and for me this is really important because when i first started with breath work um i managed to do probably about 20 seconds before my body went into full flight or fight mode i was like ready to just run out of the room you know you just go completely into panic i had a really great practitioner with me who could sort of so he's like all you need to do is just stay here let's stop doing the breath work stop doing the breathing just try and be in your body and not run um and so for me it's really important to kind of warn people that a lot can come up i mean when you're sort of sitting with breath work sessions you get people hysterically crying hysterically laughing like full body shaking it's a it's really um it's just so animalistic and it's this real sort of like taking us out of our thinking brains and just back into the body again so it's sort of a combination of breathing techniques um that help sort of get your body i mean first thing it does is kind of really flood the brain with oxygen um you're sort of getting in as much breath as you possibly can um it also kind of changes things in your body neurobiologically um that allow somatic sort of experiencing to come through basically anything that just quietens the thinking part of our brain um and and accesses more of this sort of human oh sorry the animal side so the mammalian brain and the lizard brain and allows us to kind of um yeah allow that that trauma that's stored up to come out so that's what answers your question it does answer my question i don't know if you'll get me to it because i'm, I'm british so i'm probably not gonna do that <laughs> it's incredible really um to watch people get back into the sort of animal bodies to the extent that they do with that practice. Yeah, that is interesting, sorry. So talking about, I guess, repression, you know, repressing things, Mm. um, obviously it sounds like that's clearly something that you had been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I just think that's a really universal experience because Mm. we're just trying to protect ourselves. So yeah, once people, I suppose, are ready to accept help, that's really important because again, I probably for about a year or so just really didn't want to face any of it so my body was like right okay you're not gonna process this um Mm. I'm gonna process it for you so here's here's migraines and um my first experience with something a bit more extreme in terms of health was I was at work and I was walking through the corridors and literally so I work in a hospital too and the signs up on the doors and stuff like that the words just started to disappear so I just thought, oh, I'm mad. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. It's finally happened. I'm just insane. Here we go. Off we go. Don't know how PC that is. But yeah, no, I'm crazy. But then I actually did really start to freak out because my vision just started tunneling in. I got back to my office and I sat there and I was just like, I can't see. I can't see. And it was bizarre. And I went into one of my manager's offices and they're all fantastic. And they were just looking at me like, oh, God. So one of them physically had to come down in the lift with me to the A&E. And I'm just there like, this is it. This is the end for me. What have I done with my life? Nothing. (laughs) Um, Thinking it's just something, you know, just 
off the scale awful and thankfully I was very fortunate that it was mm. what they call kind of ocular migraines or mm. migraines with with a kind of an ocular presence to them so I started to feel like I was losing my vision um but it's insane that I had repressed so much emotion really needed to have just come out mm. whether that was screaming crying laughing whatever it was shake I don't know like <laughs> who knows I wasn't doing that because I was still just trying to go to work, you know, it was through a pandemic, mm-hmm. I had shit to do, I had mm-hmm. patients to, you know, work with and look after. Um, I was like, I don't have time to sit at home and cry. Um, but I really should have. And so, yeah, I was just kind of confronted with what was going on internally with something external. And I'd never had migraines before. So it was really interesting to think about the part of the body that I experienced that kind of like... Um, confrontation in I suppose as well so yeah thank you for kind of speaking about Mm. your your diagnosis and what's helped for you as well so your loss really is around like you said that loss of connection Mm. and kind of loss of opportunity is what I heard because yeah the earlier you acknowledge these things and you know have time to kind of process them then you can just be so much more present in lots of the areas And can I just say, you've done a fantastic job anyway of being present because you are. You're unstoppable now. (laughs) You'll be coming for my job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's great. I guess moving forward a little bit, um, and a concept for this podcast, I'm talking about love as well because I just think love comes in so many different forms, and it's it can be messy and just so wonderful, but also inherently comes with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for you, what would you say as kind of one of your great loves in your twenties? Um, I I'm going to branch out a little bit. I've definitely had some incredible romantic loves um uh, I was with my one partner for for a couple of years and they are my best friend now yeah we're 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 separated have been for a few years they now have a a new partner and a baby together and we've we've worked quite hard on sort of maintaining a friendship um and that's one of the most special things to me I think it's so beautiful we were friends beforehand friends about four years engaged a romantic relationship and are now sort of best friends afterwards as well um and they are one of that been one of the most incredible presents in my life. I'm incredibly blessed to have them. That's Yasha. Hey. Yeah, and I think you know again that's really unique that you were able to transition through all those mm-hmm. types of relationships with Yasha from yeah from friends friends to lovers to mm. en- not to enemies then friends again. Yeah, that's very very unique. Um, so that type of love that you have with her and what you've just mentioned kind of is really mm. rare yeah really rare really really lucky to have that and i think if we're talking about love i definitely have to shout out my dog cleo oh. Oh. who is the absolute love of my life yeah. um nothing brings me joy like seeing her silly little face in the morning the way she wags her little tail like all of her mannerisms and she's been she's been amazing really i think she's been a really key part of of this kind of journey of healing from trauma yeah. because she is she's very boundaried as a as an animal um she's taught me a lot around being slow 
being present dogs are fantastic for that she can sit in the garden and just like stare at a leaf for 15 minutes um i think a, a symptom of trauma that we often don't recognize is this busyness like constantly needing to be busy um because you can't just sort of sit with your bodily sensations anytime you have a moment of rest where your your body your sort of your mind is quiet enough for your body to start communicating with you um you start doing things to not feel that and that was like a chronic thing of mine throughout the 20s as well like doing absolutely everything as much as possible constantly keeping myself busy and not being able to sit and feel um and I think dogs and cats are really good uh leaders in that just sitting and being present eating walking like feeling joy playing yeah just really like coming back to basics I've talked a lot about sort of returning to our animal selves and I think having an animal in your life is a really really good way of being able to tap into that um she absolutely is love my life I think also really important to shout out to platonic loves um I think we don't give it enough credit in our society you know books films it's all a lot around romantic love and that kind of actually what can sometimes be depicted in what i think is quite an abusive way i think we have quite a toxic idea of romantic love the kind of idea that you you need someone to be complete actually we are all complete the way that we are we have everything we need within ourselves and i think we are our own best healer um and i think that platonic loves are a really great way of facilitating that because they are often not so codependent of course absolutely can be um but having especially for me some of the women I have in my life um and and Yasha being non-binary um have been incredible sort of anchors I've learned so much from my friends they have supported me through sort of the hardest times I yeah I've just massive shout out for platonic love yeah I think that's again something that's probably quite universal it's something that I've experienced because I've always sort of been, in my 20s, I was in two big relationships that lasted four and a half to five years each. And I always felt like I was a very independent person within those romantic relationships. But actually, I don't think I truly had the opportunity to know that because I hadn't just physically been alone. So, yeah, over these past couple of years, you know, and thinking about my friends and, and my family and the people that have been around me through through a very difficult time, it's just so incredible to see just how important you know those connections are Mm -hmm. and actually to also think about the fact that yes I can have all these different types of loves in my life you know familial Mm -hmm. love like you said platonic love with Mm -hmm. friends um and just overwhelming love for my cat because (laughs) I'm obsessed with him he could literally just like try and kill me and I'd be like it's okay you were having a bad day but then I have had such an intense experience of romantic love at a very young age and that of course has shaped me um, but I've always maintained this kind of independence um, and I think with your friends like you said it's it's usually less um, use the word toxic mm. because you know when you kind of take the kind of sexual side out of things it does mm. chill those relationships out depending on how you use them. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like you said, platonic love is just really important um, because your friends are there for you, you know, no matter what, how you're presenting. Absolutely. I think it's a big, ego is a big thing. I think yeah. we often expect our partners to sort of be a um, uh, a public sort of statement of who we are. Okay. There's like a there's like an ego element there. It's like um, when you're out and about with your partner, the way that they behave and speak you feel as a direct reflection on you um whereas yeah I think often with friendships that's not 
always so much the case I mean I don't know about you but my friends are horrible little gremlin freaks and I love them so much because of that it's like there's no kind of like showiness around it they can be really genuine really honest um I have a concept in, in one of my friendship groups about the goblin friend so you're thinking about like the mum friend um or like the you know that the kind of the wild friend but actually then you've got the goblin friend that's just massively underrated the one that like loves gross shit like um yeah. trackies absolutely oh, as a look yeah. um like it eats all the time like there's just piles of stuff everywhere just like that kind of that level of comfort and authenticity of people where you can be a grotty little rat bag that's so much love for grotty little rat bags yeah that's my cat <laughs> he's my goblin friend also i can yeah i can think of a, a few other people like that i'm really lucky in a couple of relationships i've had were friendships first i'm in a relationship at the moment and i think the beauty of that has come from the fact that we were friends for so long and there isn't we completely just accept each other how we come um uh and yeah there's just that, that kind of like patience and acceptance mm-hmm. I was telling you, so on the first day, I was a horrible brat. I like didn't talk to him for the first 10 minutes because he was like three minutes late and then cried on the tube for the entire journey on the way home because I got too drunk. Um, and then the next day, he was trying to leave and I was like, absolutely not, he's taking me out for breakfast. Um, which he wouldn't have never done if I was just on a normal date, but because yeah. it's your friend, there's that level of authenticity um, and it's just kind of blossomed from there. Yeah, there's a real beauty in, in that. Yeah, it sounds good. Maybe I need some more male friends. I don't know. <laughs> Great. So the last thing I suppose is to think about lessons that you've learned from your twenties. You know, a really small task. Not hard. Oh at all. god, the lessons. Or lesson. What do you feel I suppose it's gonna serve you quite well going into your thirties now? The biggest lesson I learned from my 20s, I think when I was frantically looking outside of myself for answers to why I didn't feel happy or felt out of place or felt so stressed all the time, um, asking other people's opinions a lot, you know, a lot of a lot of my existence was very external. Um, so the biggest lesson that I have learned in my 20s through, you know, processing trauma, working through trauma is that actually myself and every single person out there everybody has everything they need within them to heal themselves and actually we are our own best healer um and i think you just gotta you got to be on your own side talking to my body and sort of saying you know let's let's work together i always feel really bad when i talk about that let's work together you know let's let's be a team i'm going to listen to you if you're saying to me you need to rest i will rest if you're saying you know eat i will eat a research I really love, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With The Wolves, a great book, everybody read it. She is a really lovely example of, like, if a friend came to your house and said, I want a glass of water, you wouldn't say, I'm busy, like, can you wait? I think actually just, yeah, really, like, hunkering down um, and knowing that you have everything you need within yourself was the greatest lesson that I've learned. I feel like I've only just learned that, and there's going to be so much more to tap into it, but it makes me feel very excited for the next decade of my life for my 30s to kind of like really come back to myself to trust myself to know myself to love myself and to know that I have everything I need that's amazing <laughs> you're doing my job for me that was Thank such a good ending I've come out with a lot of shit <laughs> and every now and then I can be quite profound it was a it was a prophecy you set me up for that with that introduction at the I beginning know. I know and I, and I didn't plan it you know I just I came from the heart so thank you so much oh, thank you 
thank you to everybody that's been listening that's Priya's episode um, we've explored a lot there um, and sometimes talking about trauma obviously you know can bring up things for people that are not very pleasant so if you do need any kind of support and things like that I hope you reach out to friends and family that are trusted and any other resources that are available and I know that the Samaritans are a great one because I used to volunteer for them mm. and I feel like that's fine for me to say because they are very very mm. trusted and they're for you you know um whether you're feeling kind of despair so please do reach out if you need to and the only other thing to say is that this is a quite a new podcast so I am always looking for people who are interested in coming on and being very reflective and open with me so if you see yourself um having a conversation with me please contact me using the links in the bio and yeah thanks again for listening and I guess all I would say is protect your peace and till next time thank you bye